Great to see you this morning. Welcome to Awakening. I love seeing um, State right up here. Good to see you guys this morning. Thank you. Uh, we have any Santa Clara people in here? Any proud Santa Clara people in here? Okay. Any Staters want to be loud? And, okay. You guys can respond if you want. I mean, you can be better than them since we're in a series called Better. See what I did that? I Yeah. All right. Hey, if you're brand new, my name's Ryan. We're thrilled, thrilled, thrilled that you're here. We're kicking off a brand new series called Better. Uh, and we live in a world that's in pursuit of better. We want better phones. We want better jobs. Some of you are, you know, currently putting your resume out. You have a good job, but you want a better job. Uh, you want a better body. Some of you are at the gym working for a better body. You want a better family, and some of you uh, hopefully aren't looking for a better family, um, but you're hoping for a better family. Hey, we are in pursuit of better. All these pursuits reveal one core thing that's true of every single one of us. These pursuits, because we're all pursuing better, is that deep down inside of every single one of us, we're pursuing and we long to be better. We long intuitively for us. Our external pursuits reveal this internal reality that we long to be better. The question that we're wrestling with is how do you actually be better? In fact, um, this last week, uh, Forbes does this, you know, 30 under 30. These are the top um, entrepreneurs who are under 30, and they did their first Europe version of it. So they're having this big conference, 300 of the brightest entrepreneurs, artists, uh, industry leaders uh, who are under 30 years old. And they brought in this guy named Shimon Perez, uh, and he uh, just was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, he was the former Israeli prime minister, 92 years of age, talking to all these millennials. And he says this uh, as a part of it. He says, instead of trying to make a better robot, try to make a better man. And I think, judging just by the fact that you're here this morning, that's your longing. To be a better woman, to be a better man, to be better. The problem is we wrestle with how. How do we actually be better? In fact, there's two distinct pathways to better that we often pursue. Now, here's what's important about a pathway, right? A pathway is what you walk along that has a destination. See, whatever path you're on, no matter how you feel about it, the path or steps you're on will lead you somewhere in life. The question is, is the path you're on leading you to a better you? Or not? Uh, the first pathway that we often walk on as far as trying to be better, I, it's really the American mindset. I, I don't know what it is like in, around the world, but this is indicative of who we are as Americans. Uh, is the first pathway is simply this right here. Right there we go. Uh, I can be better, I can better myself by myself. It's independent. It's a self-made woman, self-made man. It's, it's what I can do, and you don't have to help me. I can better myself. I can better myself all by myself. I don't need your help. Now, intuitively, we know that there are some problems with this path. We know, one, that it, it is a much easier road to walk on 
but it doesn't always presume, uh, produce the best results, right? Because the reality is, is if you can better yourself all by yourself, you're limited to yourself. The resources you have is your best thinking. The resources you have is your best capacity. I, I mean, at, at the end of the day, no one, no one can speak into your life and, and you don't listen to anyone else. You, you have this whole better mentality. In fact, you have this perspective you're limited by your own perspective. It's what I find true or of our culture is in our pursuit of independence, it often leaves many of us isolated, away from who we want to be and where we want to land. Second pathway, I can be better by myself, is we is better than just me. That there is this we-ness reality that the collective of who we are is better than any one individual. Now, this is much, much harder, but we, we intuitively know this is better. We don't always experience the better, but it is better. In fact, there's all kinds of quotes about this, in, whether it's in corporate world or relational world. Uh, and an old African proverb goes this way, that uh, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Uh, Ken Blanchard, you know, he's a leadership guru, written lots of different books on this. He says, none of us is as smart as all of us. Like we get this, we is better than me, that somehow the collective capacity, the collective potential, the collective brains in this room, the collective gifts is far better than any one of us. Um, my favorite quote on this is, comes from the profound prophet, philosopher, Usher, um, and he says, teamwork makes the dream work. That's like used in our house all the time. I'm not even lying. We say that teamwork makes the dream work. But it's true because your strengths are way better when they're put together with other people's strengths that offset your weakness. Now, here's, what's, here's the problem. That's really hard. That's really difficult. Problem is, we're all very different, and when our differences collide, we revert back to, I can be better by myself. Why? Because it's easier. It's all about you, and it's a lot easier at that stage. One of the things that I'm so grateful for uh, is when we were first married, I've been married 13 years, have three kids, we had this prayer that turned into a dream that has become a compelling vision for us. I am so thankful for this prayer. It's just started out as a prayer. This is our longing. This is our heart. But it has become the compelling vision for our marriage. And our prayer was simply this. God, would you make us better together than we ever could be apart? It's just our prayer. Because we've looked and we believe that we're actually better together. But when we look at the landscape of marriages in our culture, it doesn't look like we're better together. When we look at how people are interacting in the workplace, sometimes it doesn't look like we're actually better together. In fact, there's a season in our marriage where we, our differences just so rose to the top. you know. And I mean, my wife and I are so different. So different. Uh, and so, uh, you know, and so she would just say this like, oh, not in a good way. Oh, we're so different because our differences often divide us. The question we want to wrestle with is how do we experience 
the better together life. Is it really possible? It's hard. Next week, we're going to actually talk about the differences that unite us. We talk a lot and we can see and we rub against the differences that divide us, but there's actually some things that, that actually pull us together. Next week, or the week after that, week three, we're going to talk about making the dream work. How do we actually work together in such a way that the collective we is way better than just me? And then finally, week four, you don't want to miss this, is going the last 10%. A lot of times we miss out on the better together life because we don't quite go the last 10%. This morning, we're talking about the weight of worth. This is the foundation for experiencing the better together life. In fact, the Apostle Paul is going to unpack how do you experience the better together? What do you need to do to experience the better together life? Because what we kind of think is, um, back to that, thank you. Uh, When we go, we is better than just me. The reason we go back to I can be better by myself is because we look at everyone else and they're doing it wrong, right? We look at everyone else and you know what? We would be better together if they shape up. We would be better together if they would get fixed. We would be better together if their attitude would change, if their posture would change. And here's what I want to say. Sure, there's some changes out there, but the fundamental thing that the Apostle Paul is going to let us in on is there's something for you. It starts with you. When we talk about the we is better together, how do you experience better together? It starts with you. And he's going to give you a pathway of how you begin to step in and live into the better together life. How the collective we is way, way better. If you got your Bibles, open them up to Ephesians chapter 4. And I just want to read uh, what the Apostle Paul says. And this is the call. This is the call of every follower of Jesus. This is the call of every single one of us who said, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm going to begin to walk in a manner that, that, that proves or shows that I trust and believe him. And here's what he says. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you. The word's a very strong word. I implore you. I beseech you. Like, don't miss this. I urge you to live a life worthy. We'll get to that. Actually, circle that word. This is a very important word. Of the calling, underlying calling, you have received. Now, let me tell you how I've heard that verse for most of my life. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Here's how this hit me, and I bet this is how it hits you. Do better. Do better. Well, how are you doing in your relationship with God? Well, I need to do better. How are you doing in your quiet time with God? Do better. How are you doing in your prayer? I need to do better because I really don't know what worthy is, but I don't feel very worthy and I don't have it figured out. And here's the interesting part is we live under the weight of this sometimes, don't we? And we live under the weight of somehow doing better. Somehow we have to arrive. Somehow we have to prove that we're worthy. That's not what this is teaching at all. Let me give you the context, and then we'll dive into the actual text. The context of Ephesians is this, and what you know, we've kind of been 
going through it the last few months, is the first three chapters is broken up as it's theology, it's orthodoxy. Theologians call it the indicative. It indicates what's already true of you, chapters 1, 2, and 3. And then chapter 4, this turn, and 4, 5, and 6 is what theologians call the imperative. It's how do you live out what's already true of you. Chapter 1, if you remember, we did the series uh, called Unnoticed Grace, discovering what's true of you that you never knew. And it talked about you're adopted, you're redeemed, you're chosen, you're beloved, you're forgiven. And then chapter 2, we did the pursuit of peace. Remember this? And this whole idea that you couldn't earn your way to God, but God has saved you through grace. It's his pursuing good for you. The reality that as we were pursuing peace, peace the whole time had been pursuing us in Jesus. And then chapter three, a dialogue with mystery. And this whole idea that we've been invited into the very throne room of God, that we can approach him with confidence and that we can talk and have access to the father. And then he says this, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you, live, and that literally is the word walk, path, how the path you're on, walk in a life, in a manner Worthy. Now, that word worthy, it, it comes from the, the root word for weight. It's the counterbalance on a scale. It, it's the thing that weights down a scale and pushes the scale up. And so what he's saying is, I urge you to let your walk be weighted by. Let your walk be balanced by. Let your walk be moved by and informed by this. Your calling which literally means your position, your standing. The word here is this invitation of God whereas for a special privilege, position, condition, and standing in God. Let your life be weighted. Think about this. Let your life be weighted by what's already true of you. Here's the call. The call is to walk or let your life be weighted by the reality of what's already true of you. Said another way, your imputed worth, the worth that God has poured into you, the worth that he said is already true of you, far outweighs any, quote, improved worth. There's two ways that we want to validate our worth. One is by performance. I have to prove that I'm worthy. I have to do that I'm worthy. The other is by position. I've been placed. I'm not worthy because of anything I've done, I am now in a position of worth. I was given worth. Let me give you a couple examples for this. This is a hard concept for us to understand. But until we get it, we won't experience the better together life. Uh, this morning I woke up and, uh, early and went to Starbucks. Starbucks opens at 5.30. I was there at 5.33. And... <laughs> And so I got me what is a very ordinary, um, depending on your standard, I don't want to offend you, but this is a substandard cup of coffee. I, some of you are like, ow. Yeah. If you work at Starbucks, I'm sorry. Um, and just started out as a very ordinary cup of coffee. I went back to my office, and I'm working this morning. Now, at my office, I have a little thing called a Chemex. It's, a, it's an individual brew. And then next to it, I have a jar that has Verve ground coffee right there. And I have a little uh, water heater pitcher thingamajig. I think that's the technical term. And I take Verve coffee, and I brewed my own cup of coffee. Now... 
What started out as a very ordinary cup of coffee has been poured into with this delicious, amazing, just life-changing, golden goodness. I mean, oh, that's good. I mean, I wish you could change. See, on the outside, it looks really ordinary, unassuming, all been there. On the inside is some of the best coffee on the planet, your imputed worth. And some of us walked in, and we walked in feeling on the outside very ordinary. And we judge ourselves so much by the outside of our lives, by the performance of things. And yet on the inside, what's already true of you is that you've been adopted, that you've been redeemed, that you are beloved, that you are son, daughter of the King Most High, that grace has been extended to you, that you are now not, no longer operating on what you can do, should do, or you're operating on what God has already done. You're imputed worth poured into you. It's true of you far outweighs your improved worth. Any performance that you could do, any positioning, any extra effort. Maybe this example will help you understand it. A lot of times when we're talking about our worth, when we're talking about our value, at least even for me, I'll just share real honestly, even this morning as I was praying, I had to confess it because even when I preach, I realize I want to preach from a standpoint where I long for God to work and not for you to think it was a great sermon and think well of me. I don't want my worth to be found in that you think I can speak well, but that God showed up. Okay. But we find our worth in so many things. And I don't know what it is for you, but it's performance-oriented. It might be your job. It might be your career. And you go, man, I, here's my worth. And, and I'm pouring all of my energy, all of my time, all of my effort, and trying to climb up the corporate ladder or whatever it is, trying to be better. And you find, well, that kind of left me empty, so then I'm going to try something else. And it might be a relationship. It might be your body. You're like, you know what? I'm not really so happy. I, maybe if I look better, then somehow I'll be better and I'll feel better. And so you begin to work on your body. And yet, here's what's interesting. It doesn't move the scale. It doesn't tip it. There's no movement. You try something else. Go, okay, maybe it's a family... Maybe it's a car. It's how, how can you improve to a world around you and that would finally say you're worthy, you're worth it, you're valuable. See, here's what's amazing. Is what the Apostle Paul is saying here is live a life worthy, live in a life that corresponds to your true worth and your true value. Is that you're way more worthy, that you're imputed worth good grief mm. i got a 50 pound bag of sand in here so you can see how weak i am um it's far it far outweighs any performance you could do any effort, 
All those things that you constantly hook your identity onto. And here's the reason why this is such a big deal in the better together. Because as long as your worth is found over here in your performance, then you need something from someone to make you worthy, or you need to push someone down to feel worthy. And we collide. And Paul's going to tell us, well, then how do we actually experience it? Because if that's true, you got to embrace. You first have to embrace and begin to live out what's already true of you. Embrace the reality that you are worth it. You are worthy. Not because of anything you did. You don't have to do better. God made you better. He's like, you're better. I've made you better. I've given you imputed worth and value in you. And so then there's this process of living this out. It's practice, sacrificial, other-centered relationships. When you're secure because of who God says you are, then you can be about other people and not just be so consumed about yourself. He says it this way. Be completely humble. Be gentle. In fact, this is your view of you. It's, humility is the disposition of valuing or assessing oneself appropriately. It's not thinking little of yourself. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking accurately of yourself. Now think about this. Back to your worth. I won't think too high of myself because I've been saved by grace. There's nothing I did to earn it. And I am a chosen, welcomed son, daughter. But I'm not going to think too little of myself either because I am beloved. I am heir of the king most high. See, humility is an accurate thought of yourself. Gentle. It, gentle isn't weakness, by the way. The word here, gentle, is literally strength under control. It is the ability to have the power and restrain it or to use it for others' good. Uh, one writer even says it this way. He says that gentleness is the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. Why? Because you're already secure. You have embraced the weight of worth. You're not living under a weight of trying to be worthy. You have embraced the weight of worth that God has declared over you, that has been poured into you. Be patient. Some of your translations may even say long-suffering. word literally means endurance of pain. Bear with each other. It literally means to endure something unpleasant or difficult for yourself or on someone else's behalf. Why? Because relationships are hard. Because it's messy. Because people disappoint. Because better together isn't easier. It is just better. But when your identity isn't based on someone else's activity or acceptance, you're able to bear with them. Not just like go with them and go whatever. In love. I love you. I love you. I'm for you. I want us to be better together. This next line we miss. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Every effort. You know, to make every effort means that you're given every reason not to. We miss this in the church today. This commitment to one another. 
We, we kind of opt out and go, you know what, because it gets a little bit hard, because they hurt my feelings, because she said that or he did this, I'm going to opt out on relationships. By the way, you've opted out not only at a, as a better community, but a better you. And we do this. We unfriend them on Facebook or we do whatever. We like literally leave and go to a different church. We don't engage in the hard things of life and just opt out. And, and this passage ends with this, talking about being mature and complete. You want to be better. You want to be mature. You want to be who God made you to be and who we were designed to be. There has to be a commitment to one another because our standing is secure and you're next to people who aren't worthy because of what they did. They're worthy because of what God did. And so you see their worth in them and you value them the way God values them, not the way they deserve to be treated by how they're acting. Thank you. I was waiting. I was really waiting for a one because that was good. I don't know. I mean, I was. <laughs> because that's, that's God's word to us. If we stop going through the motions, stop just kind of doing community on our terms. Go, you know, when it's easy, it's good. And when it's hard, I'm out. That will produce a narcissistic, shallow life that ultimately that will ultimately leave you at the end lonely and isolated. See, we're better together. It isn't easier. It is harder at times. That's why he says this. The process, practice other-centered, sacrificial relationships. It's a practice. It's a process. It's a process of living out what's already true of you. Uh, this last week, I was studying, and I was at Starbucks early one morning, and I had my Bible out. And by the way, if you, never, if you want people not to talk with you in a Starbucks, just put your Bible out, and they'll leave you alone. <laughs> uh, this older gentleman came up to me, and I'm like focused on, on sermon prep, and, and he comes up to me and says, Esword. Esword, I mean, does it mean an Esau? I'm like, I don't know what this is. Esword, check it out. He's looking at him like, hi. I'm like, who are you? What? I mean, uh, I come into a conversation. You're looking at me. I mean, like this far apart, but e-sword. I'm like, okay, gotcha, gotcha. E-sword. It, electronic sword. Like, you know, the Bible's a sword. I'm like, okay, yeah, it's on it. Like, it's a great resource for you. You know what's so weird? Like the carnal fleshly side of me. As he's trying to give me advice on where to find great Bible study tools and research and all these sort of things. Initially, my first inclination, and I'm so ashamed to say this, my first inclination was I wanted to tell him, I know this passage in the Greek. I don't need Esard. I, I, have, I have a tool that's way better than Esard. It's called Lagos. And I have every resource to my capability. You don't know who you're talking to. I'm a pastor. <laughs> Drop the mic and walk away. <laughs> I sat there, listened to him. And I just said, thank you so much. I'll check it out. Sounds like a great resource. Left to ourselves, 
to find our worth, we have to prove our worth. We have to somehow prove that the exterior of the cup isn't just all there is. We have to prove that there's something inside that's worth it. And so we go back and we have to shout it out. No, no, no. It's already worth it. And so you don't have to proclaim it. You just get to live in it and you get to treat others with dignity and the worth that they deserve. And sometimes it means bearing with and not running away. For some, this is God's word to your marriage or your relationship because you're like, we're not better together. By the way, do the work necessary and stop blaming the other person and let God do the work in you. See, this is what we do in relationships. We go, if they would change. I don't know. God's saying, listen, it's not that they don't have problems, but sweetheart, you got plenty of problems. You deal with you. Let me deal with them. See, the call is to live out who God has already made you to be. The practice or the process is to practice other-centered sacrificial relationship. Now, here's why this is so important. As followers of Jesus, this is massive. And we can't miss this. we got to be connected to the why. This is a big, big deal. Because we isn't just better. It's way bigger than just me. The reason this is so important is that whole we life isn't just bigger or better than, it's way bigger. This is about Jesus and his church. This is about the community of followers of Christ looking like Jesus. Notice what he says. Uh, Next one. Oh, I didn't say that part. Yeah, go back to that. People won't want, uh, they want their... We'll save that transition, okay? How you treat others reveals how you think about yourself. I don't know if you ever thought about that. How you treat others actually reveals how you think about yourself. See, if you have to push others down to feel good about yourself, if you allow others to walk all over you as a doormat because you don't feel valued worthy. See, you want to discover like, okay, where am I at in embracing the weight of worth? Look at how you respond to people. Look at your Starbucks moments. They're every day. They're normal. How you treat others actually reveals where you're at there. Okay. Now, the reason why. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you're called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all who is and through all and in all. We is bigger than just me. See, we're different, but we make up one beautiful picture, the body. We'll talk more about that next week. We're, we're all different, and yet the, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead for every single follower of Jesus indwells each and every single one of us. We're different, yes, but we're all called to this same hope. We're all looking forward and awaiting the day when Jesus will return. He will restore and make all things right, and every tribe and every tongue and every language will declare together that he is Lord, and we will join in unity, not uniformity, in unity together. We are different, but we have one Lord. His name is Jesus Christ, upon whom we say we bow the knee, and we are going to follow you. We have one faith, one baptism, and one God over all. It's way bigger than just you. It's about Jesus. It's about his church. 
and get over yourself and start trusting, you know what, this is way bigger than me. It's way more important than my preference. It's way bigger than me just being right. I want, I want the bride of Christ to be beautiful. And so I'm going to give up my rights because I'm already secure so that other people can grow. Because it's way, way bigger than just me. See, in Christ, in Christ, what you have in common trumps any differences. What we have in common. See, the differences that are in this room, we differ politically, we differ from economically, we differ racially, we, we differ socioeconomically. I think I said that one already. We differ in every single way, but we have something in common, and it's Jesus, and it is the profound determiner of why we gather. In fact, I love what Tony Evans said. He's an African-American pastor. I love him. He's an amazing communicator, one of my favorites. He wrote this. He said, to refer to oneself as a black Christian, white Christian, Mexican Christian, or Chinese Christian is technically incorrect. Our Christianity should never be modified by our culture. Our Christianity should modify our culture. We must see ourselves as Christian blacks, Christian whites, Christian Mexicans, or Christian Chinese. The Bible teaches that we are Christians who happen to be black, white, brown, or yellow. If anything changes, it is to be our cultural orientation, not our Christianity. There's two distinct pathways to better. We're all, by the way, walking on a particular path. I can better myself by myself. Or do we believe that we're actually better together than we ever could be apart? And that's the process upon which God is going to grow and refine and make us beautiful. Do we actually believe what Jesus prayed in John 17 when he prayed for unity? And he said, I pray that they may be one, even as the Father and I are one. That the differences that should divide actually bring us together because we allow what we have in common to be the determining factor. And we go, we're going to major on the majors and we're going to minor on the minors. That's how we're better together is when we begin to embrace the weight of our worth. And so I don't have to prove, and I don't have to improve. I just stand in the imputed worth of God, and I can live that out. I'm free to love you. I don't have to prove that I'm better than you. I'm free to love you because God has already made me better. I want to close just simply with a story that I've told before, but... I just think this concept's so hard for us to understand about our imputed worth. There was a couple that adopted a young girl, and they found that after a couple weeks in her room that there was food hidden in all sorts of corners of her room. They did a little bit of research, a little background, and talked with the adoption organization, and come to find out this little girl in her home that she grew up in, the way they would punish her is they would um, 
they would lock her in a room for an entire weekend with no food or water. Often when they would leave the house and if she was home alone, they would chain the fridge closed. So she had no access. Well, kids are resilient. Kids are smart. She figured out that to survive the weekends of being locked in her room, she needed to store during the week. And so she would take food, little bits, and hide it, and make, making sure that she wasn't caught. Family found out this little girl, she's in a new home, has a new name, and a new reality. And yet she brought all of that old with her to her new. By the way, that's where many of us are today. You're in a new reality. You have a new name. You're, you've been given a new home. And, and yet our old just, we bring it in. and Somehow we think God's down on us. He's not. He, he's sad for us. And, and he responds the same way these parents responded to this little girl. And they said, oh, sweet girl. I understand why you did that, but you don't have to do that here anymore. You understand you have a new home. Your door won't ever be locked and the fridge won't ever be chained. You can go anytime you want. You have access as much food as you want. You have a new reality. You're in a new home. You're in a new home. You have a new reality. You are a daughter. You are a son. The king most high. The old is gone. The new has come. And we keep bringing some of our performance oriented to the table and somehow trying to make ourselves worthy. And God's not down on you. He's not angry at you. He's just saying, don't you get it? Don't you understand why I died? Don't you understand the weight of your worth? If you could just see the weight of your worth. He wouldn't go back there because it's way better. Way better. This morning, as we close, I just want to invite the band up. And I just want to invite you, if you wouldn't mind standing, and just, I want to pray over you. Now, I just want to do something that maybe you're here this morning, and and you just want to embrace afresh your worth in God. It's not that you're like, life's bad or anything like that, but you've been under the do better reality and you just want to embrace, say, God, I want to embrace, I want to start a new path that we is better, but I want to be embracing that you've already made me better. Would you just raise your hand? Just go, that's where I'm at this morning. Amen. God, I ask this morning that your fresh wind would pour forth and your truth would enlighten and you would wrap each person with your love. That the performance-oriented mindset, God, you just bring it to our minds when we step into that and go, no, 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 I don't have to do that anymore. I have a new home. I have a new name. I'm in a new family. You've made me worthy. I don't have to try to be worthy. You have been made worthy by the blood of the Lamb. May you embrace and live.
that reality.